The Lord be with you and also with you. The word became flesh and dwells among us. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Well, beloved, the liturgy, music, and homily this morning are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel for our radio listenership uh, in New England at WBUR 90.9 FM and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selections in the new year of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Here at the turn of the year, we remember the historic words of John Wesley, who founded the movement of Methodism, out of which did spring Boston University in 1839, and his covenant watch night service prayer, Lord, make me what you will. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and disposal. On this Sunday morning, we are grateful and honored to have as our preacher, our colleague and friend and chapel associate for campus ministry, the Reverend Dr. Robin Olson, who brings us the gospel under the theme, Living on the Threshold. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. Together, may we pray. 
Light of life, you came in flesh, born into human pain and joy, and gave us power to be your children. Grant us faith, O Christ, to see your presence among us, so that all of creation may sing new songs of gladness and walk in the way of peace. Amen. Lesson from the book, first book of Samuel, chapter 2, verses 18 to 20 and 26. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord repay you with children by this woman for the gift that she has made to the Lord. And then, she would return, and then they would return to their home. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
lesson from the Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading Psalm 148 with the Antiphon. the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord who commanded and they were created, who established them forever and ever and fix their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling God's command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name alone is exalted, whose glory is above earth and heaven. God has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are near their God, praise the Lord. Thanks that create a bliss. Hallelujah. 
now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke chapter 2 verses 41 through 52. Glory. Now every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover and when Jesus was 12 years old they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But his parents did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Christ. Please be seated. Some of you know that I have practiced for decades the spiritual discipline of tree climbing. I have surprised neighbors all across the country as I've tumbled out of moving vans and immediately ascended my way to a view of a new heaven and a new earth on my new street. It's a matter of seeking new perspective. Well, today, December 30th, we've all figuratively climbed up to the top of the year, and we've perched way out on the tree limb of 2012, still holding on to the days of Christmastide, remembering the events of this year. The branch sways a bit, doesn't it, under the weight of all of the joys and agonies of these 12 months. 
From this lofty vantage, we can see a branch very close of 2013 coming to us with the dropping of a ball and the raising of cheer, with the flip of a calendar page, we can just about see it already, but not quite yet. Or how about another metaphor? This one requiring not a courage of heights, but a courage of imagination. This is a time when we are called to live on the threshold abiding in the liminal places, not quite in the past, not quite in the future, pitching tent with Emmanuel, who comes to camp out with us, pausing with our sister Mary to ponder many things in our hearts, a time to recollect back and wonder forward. This is a day for a gem of a story found only in Luke, told with dual perspectives. This is a day where two generations meet, where youth ministers and campus chaplains engage young adults precisely in the contexts of their journeys, where parents and children perplex and irritate one another. Can you imagine? where professors and students sit in the temple and wrestle with texts and traditions. Some of us live today with Mary on the parental threshold of holding on and letting go. Today, her 12-year-old Jesus stretches out beyond her protection into a world that she already knows is piercingly beautiful and piercingly violent. Mary says today, kids, they grow up so fast. It seems like it was just this past Tuesday when Jesus was born. My baby, and now he's 12, going on 20. Some of us live today with Jesus on the emerging adulthood threshold of, hello world, ready or not, here I come. And yikes, this economy this multitude of options and yet restrictions. Hello, parents, basement, I'm back. (laughs) Jesus says today, give me some room at the inn to learn more and become more until I'm really ready to launch. Let's climb into our Lucan story and see the world from one another's perspectives. Let's begin with Mary revered mother of Jesus. And here in today's gospel, a very real mom. One of many of us recognize as we look in the mirror or as we look at a family portrait. Clueless, panicked, relieved, angry, perplexed, astonished, perseverant. All those experiences of parenthood that the owner's manual never mentions. In ancient Roman mythology, Janus is the god of beginnings and transitions, the god of gates, doors, and thresholds. Janus is depicted as a god with dual profiles, once looking to the future and once looking to the past at the same time. January was named in honor of this threshold inhabiting Janus. 
Now, I confess that I know this not because I am a classics scholar. I know this because I am a mom and I have a college savings plan with a firm called Janus Investments. And this two-faced image of Janus has been stamped on my statements for about a dozen years. For many years, my husband and I have clink clinked our quarters into the savings plate, fretting over its too slow expansion. Our son Andrew is a high school senior, living on the threshold between high school and college, between clicking submit on the common app on the computer and the arrival of satisfactorily large and thick acceptance envelopes from colleges. With Mary, I shake my head and remember my son's first day of kindergarten, which seemed like last Tuesday. On that very first day of the big yellow bus, Andrew was treated to a one-on-one -on -one visit from the school principal, a kind man who very gently suggested that biting your neighbor's forearm on the bus ride to school was not the best start to an academic career. This I cannot help but remember as my 17-year-old stands before me and requests the car keys. Himself now, a Latin scholar, a fine writer, a person of sterling character, now with advanced bus riding social skills. The forward-facing mom says, I am so proud of you. The backward-facing Janice mom cannot resist a comment, but don't bite anybody. <laughs> Already, but not yet. Mary, today I companion with you as we parent sons so close to stepping into new worlds beyond our doors. I like to think of Mary as the biblical soccer mom. Now, if this image hasn't occurred to you, bear with me for a moment. Her eldest child is 12, and we know from biblical text that she has at least another six children by the time Jesus is an adult. Four of Jesus' brothers are named, and references are made to his unnamed sisters, plural sisters. So that's at least another six children. Before I thought about this fact of Mary as parent of seven or more children, I admit to a more serene image of Mary, quietly pondering, piously robed in blue, sitting beside a well-behaved baby, shining a halo or two in daily housework chores. But now I imagine she and Joseph busy with all the demands of running a large household, bursting with children's activities and religious practices and carpentry projects. I can understand how Jesus got lost in the caravan that day on the annual pilgrimage to and from Jerusalem for the Passover festival, the original Home Alone screenplay. It was a 150-mile round-trip journey, three days there and three days back, from the sleepy hill country of Nazareth 
to the bustling epicenter of Jerusalem, the big city on the bordering the Negev desert on the south. Two places so very different from one another, one experience and yet understood in two very different ways by two different people. I imagine that Jesus, the firstborn, had been declaring his desire for independence for some time from good old Ema and Abba. So they relented in their vigilance and they said, okay, son, you can travel further back in the caravan with our extended family. I can just see it. Mary probably couldn't stop herself and call that one bit of parting advice. But Jesus, don't bite anybody. <laughs> okay, all you young adults, this is the point when you, you totally get to roll your eyes at your parents for all of our awkward comments. It's really more the world's bite that Mary is afraid of. She knows the reality of injustice and state-sanctioned violence. She knows the powerlessness of being young, poor, female, occupied from the no-account back country. She and Joseph and baby Jesus fled Bethlehem 12 years ago, narrowly escaping the murderous arm of Herod, who commanded that all male babies under the age of two be killed. Her family was refugees in Egypt, relying daily on the kindness of strangers, relying daily on the magnificent promises of God. Mary knows that in 2012 alone, over 153,000 refugees fled her neighboring Syria, running from violence and terror. Mary knows that in our country, there have been some 30,000 deaths in 2012 from gun violence. Mary knows that the slaughter of innocents is not some ancient biblical tale, but a reality proximate to our lives. Mary weeps for the innocents. Christmas Eve in Webster, New York, the town next door to my recent hometown, two firefighters responded to a residential fire and they were ambushed and killed by gunshot. One, a 19-year-old, covering for older firefighters so they could be home on Christmas Eve with their families. Mary weeps for the innocents. Sweet babes at an elementary school in Connecticut, an Oregon shopping mall, a Colorado movie theater, an off-campus street in Alston. Off-campus? Our campus. These towns, our towns. These streets, our streets. These children, our precious family. Let us wake up and let our collective tears become a tidal wave of flow, of change, moving our hearts and minds and legislation. And here's why I love Mary. Mary lives on the threshold of the world, seeing all its pain and darkness, and she chooses life. 
She chooses to be open, to open the door of her heart, a familiar expression of Howard Thurman. Thurman who prays, let the door of my heart be swinging, secured in place by the axis of identity as a beloved child of God, yet swinging open, welcoming love, attentive to splendor, open to new insight. Mary sees the bleakness and chooses to light a candle of blessing rather than curse the darkness. Perhaps Mary is tempted to lock the doors and live in fear, to insist that Jesus never leave the protection of Nazareth again. But Mary does not place an armed guard at every threshold we hold most dear. She does not armor backpacks. Instead, she clothes herself in compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and most of all, love. When Mary and Joseph discover that Jesus is missing, they abruptly change all plans and they rush back to Jerusalem to find their son. They are panicked. After three days of searching, they find him in the temple of all places, not in the market squandering shekels on sweet cakes, in the temple, sitting there with the elders deep in discussion about matters of the Torah, holding his own. Mary's panic gives way to relief, gives way to anger. She raises her voice and says, son, how could you do this to me? Didn't you know that your father and I have been searching for you? And Jesus answers her, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Not without a little attitude. In this moment, Mary really doesn't understand her son, but she pauses. She doesn't react, she reflects. She's good at pondering life's mysteries, even when they come in the package of a misbehaving child. Jesus leaves with his parents. They kind of march him back home to Nazareth. They give him some remedial lessons in the commandments, like, hey, Jesus, remember number five of the top ten? Honor thy father and mother. Mary does her best, and her son grows in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. But we've climbed our tree today to look at two perspectives, so a moment to think about Jesus' perspective. Jesus is on that threshold of emerging adulthood, almost, but not quite there. Jesus, in this story, is a young adult some of us might recognize in the mirror or in the family portrait. Eager, idealistic, curious, confident, hopeful, and determined. Now Luke tells us that Jesus is 12 here. What the text does not say, but we can imagine, is that he is reaching the age of majority or of recognition as an adult in his religious circle. B'nai mitzvah, the coming of age of Jewish boys at 13 and girls at 12, is not yet an established practice in first century Judaism. But I suspect Jesus is on the threshold of what we call today becoming a bar mitzvah, 
a son of the commandments, one with personal accountability for observing the law. A bar or bat mitzvah is full of questions and is obligated to study biblical passages in depth. So just where else would Jesus be at this time of his life? But at the steps of the temple, taking the rare opportunity to dialogue with and to learn from the greatest scholars of the day. Indeed, when he is reproached by his mother, how could you do this to me? He is likewise astonished. Do my parents understand nothing about me? How is this not obvious? In our era, a new term has surfaced for coming of age called emerging adulthood. It's generally associated with the ages between 18 and 29, and it's understood not as a generational characteristic particular to millennials, but as a new life stage. Nearby in Worcester, Massachusetts, our colleagues at Clark University are spearheading this research, and in December they've just published their latest poll on the American emerging adult. And they find three terms to describe this life stage. Thriving, struggling, hopeful. Sounds a little bit like emerging Jesus to me. The researchers say life is not easy for emerging adults. We know this. In December, our own WBUR ran a series called Gen Stuck. Ouch. I learned that 30% of young adults are boomeranging back home to the not-so-empty nest, the highest percentage since the 1950s. Merry Christmas, young adults. Here's a present called Fiscal Cliff. Happy New Year. I quote from the Clark Report, emerging adults have an unemployment rate that is consistently double the overall rate. Those who have a job usually make very little money for most of their 20s. Nearly all aspire to a college degree, but fewer than a third have attained one by ages 25 to 29. It's not surprising, given these circumstances, that so many of them say they, are, they feel stressed, anxious, or depressed, end quote. Hold on, though. Recall the confidence and curiosity and energy of our emerging Jesus. I continue from their report, quoting, what may be more surprising is that despite the challenges of the emerging adult life stage, most of them remain hopeful that their lives will ultimately work out well. Nearly 90% agree that they are confident that they eventually will get what they want out of life, end quote. Jesus, God with skin on, knows this in-between time. He stands in the threshold right there, and he is present in those silent waiting years. In the biblical text, from age 20 to 30, we know nothing about Jesus' life. We can imagine that he is home preparing, living faithfully, and getting ready to launch into public ministry finally at the age of 30. Young adults, 
If your baby boomer or Gen X parents get a little impatient with your traveling through this emerging life stage, just say, hey, I'm emerging right on target with Jesus. Jesus had a hunger for discovery, and so do the young adults I love. The beginning of December, some three dozen emerging adults, also called students, gathered here at Marsh Chapel just before uh, finals for a reading retreat, a day set apart for study and reflection. We focused our spiritual practices on one of the masters of this holy temple, Howard Thurman. Each participant at the beginning of the day went around the room declaring the study intent for the day. And it was fascinating to hear the variety of subjects embraced by members of six of the schools of our university. One said, I am making my way through a 500-page tome on international relations and the CIA. Another said, I am immersed in my reams of Hebrew Bible class notes for the final exam. I am writing a paper about cross-cultural pedagogical implication. I am simulating human voice through a prototype, prototype robot I am making. And so on and so on. Fascinating. Finally, these wonderful emerging adults remind me to be a lifelong learner, to appreciate excellence all around. For instance, our ushers right here at Marsh Chapel are superb in hospitality. Each Sunday they are at our doors with smiles and welcoming information for first-timers. Now, on a Sunday morning, I come up from downstairs, the lower level of Marsh Chapel, and I come up from the side stairs, and I am not in our ushers' line of duty. So most weeks, I go out the front door, immediately turn around, open the door to come through, and I say to the usher, I want my greeting. I'm here for the smile. I want my handshake or hug. I want to start my day by receiving the excellence of your mission. And Charles, seven-year-old Charles, who is the head usher of our balcony, you just haven't had a Sunday until you've had a Charles smile and a high five. Friends, this day we look back, we look forward, we look from many perspectives. We go out of our way to cross thresholds into places that promise us joy and love and community. Let's go into the new year with hearts as swinging doors, opening to the comfort of God's grace and moving out into the needs of the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Please be seated. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the manner which will best support the prayers of this community. Stand or kneel at the altar rail, lift your hands in your place, respond in your first language, however you are so moved by the Spirit. I will set the petition and then will say, in your grace, if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray together. As we have begun the Christian year and look to the change of a new calendar year, we are aware of endings and beginnings and that which continues. We live in gratitude and hope for your presence with us as source of all life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. For ourselves, as individuals and for the communities of which we are a part. For our particular ministries in the world. For our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life for the work of all the church. In your grace, hear our prayer. With and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all for the life of the world. In your grace, Hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals, birds, insects, and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. 
for those who disagree with us and those who wish us harm, and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died in our personal circles of family and friends, in our Boston University community, in our nation, and abroad in the world. For their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations and joys of our human life, especially in this Christmas season of your incarnation, O God with us. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray in trust, as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Jesus Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Although Boston University is currently closed for intercession, we here at Marsh Chapel are delighted to greet you this morning, some with a handshake in person in the chapel, and others with this verbal greeting over the radio or the internet. We are glad you have joined us for worship today. For those sitting in the pews, we encourage you to put your name and contact information in the red pads, which can be found at the end of the pews so that we can get to know you better and you can get to know one another better. 
Please remember that the chapel offices remain closed through January 2nd when they will reopen at 9 a.m. Weekday activities will resume again on January 21st. You may be a radio listener with us by voice today. We happily and strongly encourage you to make a year-end donation to Marsh Chapel to support our ongoing ministry. We need your support as we enter 2013. Your gift will help support continued ministry here in preaching and music and liturgy and service. For more information or to make a donation, please visit our website at bu.edu chapel. As you consider your resolutions for 2013, we prayerfully and gently encourage you to consider making your weekly presence here in worship a new year pattern and discipline. And now we invite you to meditate on another aria from Handel's Messiah as the ushers wait upon us.
Gracious and loving God, receive these gifts and bless the givers. May we all bear with one another in love. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. to this new year clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and most of all, wear the garment of love. The love of God, Creator Christ, and Holy Spirit go with you now and always. Amen. Amen.